brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a Midi clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. I my signal. Unleash hell. Welcome. Happy Friday. You are listening to News Talk Saga 960. Mark Petroni with you for the next two solid gold hours of freedom loving news talk awesomeness. So very glad you could join us on this Friday edition, this UFO Friday edition of the Mark Petroni radio program. If you'd like to give us a call, we're always glad to hear from listeners just like you. 416 640. Oh, 200. Yeah, NDP leader Jugmeet Singh now says the NDP is, is not going to just rubber stamp the liberal throne speech and budget. Well, remember, we've got a liberal minority government in Ottawa. Well, that means that they have periodic uh, confidence votes, okay? So that means this is where the government uh, gets tested in the sense that if they don't Past that test, they end up falling. The government falls, and then there's there's an election. And this is one of those times when it gets to table its budget. And uh, that table its throne speech. And so Jugmeet's point is, you know, don't just think that you can count on us to just give you whatever you want, Justin. We're not going to just put out just because you want us to. You know, I want some. I want some flowers, right? And, and maybe I want a little bit of romantic music. Maybe some Barry White. Let's hear some 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 music. Yeah, yeah. That's right. That's better. And I want some chocolate. And I want some flowers. That's right. We're not gonna just give it to you. Just because you want it, Justin. And you got to wear a mask, too. Just like Dr. Tam says. Just to be safe. Yeah. All right. All right. We'll support your budget. You're going to put it that way. (laughs) Oh, and by the way, we're broke. And by the way, we're polling 16%. And by the way, Jugmeet Singh's own seat 
is in trouble. If there was an election held today, that, according to the latest polls, buddy, that is just a reality. But he still wants to be talked into it. So let's put on a bit of a show for Jugmeat and pretend that um, he's actually putting up a fight when we know he's not. But the Toronto Star reporting, Justin Trudeau's liberals are confident they will avoid an election. Don't count on it, says Singh. Right. Anyway, uh, Earth to uh, Toronto Star, the liberals want an election. Why wouldn't they right now? They're polling, what, 40%? They're pretending they don't. It's just part of this dance. It's all this kabuki theater. You know, it's like being on a date with somebody. You don't want to appear overly eager to take it to the next level, you know. Also, this story, the Trudeau government backing away from free trade talks with China. Hmm. Just as Conservative Party leader Aaron O'Toole makes his tough-on-China policy kind of the centerpiece of his foreign policy platform. Is Trudeau's favorite form of government, a Chinese-style dictatorship, you know, does that make him vulnerable? I mean, the Globe and Mail has a column today in saying that O'Toole's move to, to get tough on China is very shrewd. This is Doug Saunders writing in the Globe and Mail this morning. That's a political shrewd decision by Mr. O'Toole. Since a wide swath of Canadians would appreciate a less tolerant approach to President Xi Jinping's regime. The imprisonment and abuse of a million people in Xinjiang, these are the Uyghurs, because of their ethnicity, the crushing of supporters and of democracy in Hong Kong, and the de facto hostage crisis that has imprisoned the two Michaels for almost two years, this has shifted public sympathies. Writes Saunders, there's a sense often well justified that Mr. Trudeau has been slow to reflect those views. Well, remember, he loves Chinese dictatorship. Come on, man. Stop pretending that he never said it. We all know he did. He told the Toronto, well, he told the he told Sun News, the late great Sun News. One of the best moments Sun News ever had was getting this out of them, that, that little bit of truth, Right that Justin Trudeau admires Chinese-style dictatorship. And if he admires something, well, it stands to reason that uh, he could be trying to bring it here. Doesn't that make sense to you? Anyway, we've already spoken about why he loves that kind of regime, right? If you're at the top of the food chain of a communist regime, you can have anything you want. Nobody will call you on anything because everybody lives in fear. You're like an instant billionaire. You can steal as much as you want, kill as much as you want, do whatever you want, and nobody will say jack to you. That's why the Maduro regime is still in power. They've got the police, right? they got the army. And if you've got those things behind you, anyway, getting back to Junior, this is how Junior is shoring up that weakness, right? Because there's also this story in the Globe Mail, the Trudeau government setting aside a priority that once dominated Prime Minister Trudeau's bid to reset relations with China. This is this free trade discussion, right? So Trudeau is kind of pulling the pin a little bit, saying, ah, you know what, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe we we're not going to proceed with this free trade discussion with, with China anymore. We're going to pull the pin on that. He knows he's vulnerable on that file. And so now we're saying, no, no, not so fast, China. We're not going to just be signing some agreement with you that quickly. 
Yeah, through talks, uh, talks have stalled. That according to uh, Foreign Affairs Minister Francois-Philippe Chapang, he now says a trade agreement with Beijing is no longer worth pursuing. It's not worth it. The quote is from Mr. Chapang, I don't see the conditions being present for now for these discussions to continue at this time. Really? He says, get this, the China of 2020 is not the China of 2016. Then why are we still giving them like 200, over $250 million of our money to the uh, China-controlled Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank? You remember Shear was on, on this, and rightfully so. They said, look, why are, we, why are we giving this money to that bank, which is controlled by China? You know, and it's designed to help roll out infrastructure in these economies in Asia, particularly China. So it's like they've got this powerhouse, this military power now, an economic power, and we're, we're still sending them cash over there. It's insane. And why is still, uh, why is Canada still sitting on the fence on the Huawei 5G rollout? Why haven't we done something on that? When every one of our security partners in the Five Eyes group you know, the UK, New Zealand, Australia, United States, right? Our friends were supposed to keep an eye on each, you know, out for each other in terms of abuses, theft, intellectual theft and, and spying and all this stuff. The group as a whole has said no, but Canada, well, still sitting on the fence. The group as a whole has made it clear that it's dangerous to allow communist Chinese party controlled company like Huawei to control such a key piece of high tech infrastructure. Yet Canada still won't make a decision. Why? Well, I've made the case on this show a number of times and still maintain that the Trudeau wants to approve Huawei's 5G rollout. But being a coward, he doesn't want to face the American backlash. So he's waiting for Chinese controlled Joe Biden to win, or more accurately, Kamala Harris to become the next president of the United States. Anyway, I, I don't know if it's going to happen. I sh sure hope not. We're in trouble if it does. Anyway, by saying that the China of today is not the China of 2016, Mr. Champagne is giving Trudeau cover, saying that our trade uh, policy was based on a China that no longer exists. He's wrong. It's the same country. <laughs> it's the same country that has been spying us for on, on us for, for decades, stealing intellectual property from this country, destroying companies like Nortel, infiltrating and corrupting institutions in Canada, buying off politicians and bureaucrats, including former prime ministers, and now stands accused by Chinese scientists of willfully creating, weaponizing, and unleashing the COVID-19 pandemic on the world while lying and covering up its role in the spread of it. So, Mr. Champagne, China has a long-term plan, yes, for world domination, and it is executing that plan with the help of stupid, naive, and destructive politicians like Justin Trudeau. Anyway, that story in the Globe continues. China's mass incarceration of its largely Muslim Uyghur population, its continued militarization of international territory in the South China Sea. In other words, I've told we've talked about this, right? 
continues to flex its muscles, tightening its hold on Hong Kong and its arbitrary arrest of foreigners. Like the two Michaels, has angered many liberal democracies. So the question begs, has Trudeau all of a sudden discovered freedom? (laughs) Is he no longer a wannabe dictator who bought off the media, who has attacked free speech and continue to do so now by trying to regulate it on the Internet? Listen, we need to push back on this. You may not think it's a big deal. It is a huge deal. We do not want the liberal government in Ottawa policing speech on the Internet. You really, really don't want that. I mean, isn't it bad enough we have big tech doing that? Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Deplatforming people they don't like? What, so so Junior has to pile on? No. Push back against this and get ready to march if need be because these people don't listen otherwise. My point is, has he changed? The answer is no. Obviously, we're talking about a political imperative here that Justin Trudeau back away from his constant need to suck up to China. He still loves Chinese-style dictatorship. He's still determined to bring more of it here. And his government is determined to become more powerful at the expense of your freedom and my freedom. We know that because he's doing it, right? It's just an act. And I think that act is partly to head off O'Toole's move to get tough on China, right? It's, It's a way to counter that. But they're also a little bit afraid, right? I mean, look look at the Indian community in the 905 belt. But you think they trust China? They're in a shooting war with the Chinese along the border, for crying out loud. So if they look at their own government and see a government that's trying to suck up to China, meantime, they're like, they're, their troops are dying on the border, getting killed in, in firefights with the Chinese... Well, I think they might, uh, you know, have some issues with that. And so Junior knows that. So it's an act is what I'm saying. I don't don't believe it. That's pretty much where my position is on that. And you know what? Senator Duffy has some thoughts as well on all of this stuff. He's a smart guy coming your way after this. So do not go away. Stream us live at saga960am.ca.
to the Mark Petroni radio program. If you'd like to call, here's the number. 416-640-0200. That's 416-640-0200. The Mark Petroni radio program. Heard exclusively on News Talk Saga 960. And we're back with more News Talk on this Friday. So very glad you could join us right here on Saga 960. Mark Petroni with you. And I am joined by the Senator, the independent Senator from the great province of Prince Edward Island, Mike Duffy. Welcome to the show, Michael. Great to be back with you, Mark. I'm all excited because next week we're getting the speech from the throne. It's almost like uh, Christmas and my birthday wrapped into one. Isn't it exciting? It is. All right, I so, can barely contain myself. Okay, so let me uh, posit this for a minute. Trudeau wants to go to the polls, but he wants to put himself in a position where his budget is unacceptable to enough people so that he can justify saying, well, look, we've got an agenda. They're not cooperating. And so we've got to go. I, I've been strong armed into an election I don't really want. And so he tables a uh, he tables a budget with just enough stuff that that the Tories hate and the NDP hates. And well, the bloc will will vote against it no matter what. So why don't what do you think of that theory? Well, I think that was the thinking going into the last uh, week or so. But I think what we've seen in the last couple of days has changed things and may change things dramatically. I think that was the basic plan, was to put just enough in there that uh, somebody would, uh, the NDP would lose their uh, courage and go for an election. But now what we're seeing with this resurgent COVID as I speak to you now, I'm in Quebec City en route to Ottawa uh, driving because I don't want to go on planes. Uh, and watching the local media here and watching the precautions being taken in Quebec City, uh, they're paranoid about uh, this resurgence. Uh, it isn't under control, and they're worried about what comes next. And on the French uh, local morning show here, on uh, TVA, the French version of CTV, they've got an ex-judge on asking, what could you actually do? Uh, answering the question, uh, how much restraint can you put on people to force them to wear a mask? In other words, could the police actually arrest you, put you in handcuffs, put a bag over your head and say you're wearing a mask whether you want to or not? So people are worried the politicians are worried, and what they're afraid is is that the young people uh, and here, as in the rest of Canada, they're showing pictures of young people uh, parading around, uh, partying without masks. And so I think the fear now is, and this will be causing second thoughts in Ottawa, is that if we go to an election, uh, we'll be blamed because people what they thought was a flattening of the curve and a reduction in anxiety now seems to be ramping back up again. All right. So meantime, we've but got can polls. Can you imagine in Canada, people, the TV, French TV network with a judge, a former judge, a retired judge saying, OK, explain to us, because the people are clamoring here in Quebec for something to be done about the recalcitrance. And the premier of Quebec, Francois Legault, is extremely popular because in the same way as 
Premier Ford has done. He's saying, listen, we're not going to put up with this. You're endangering uh, people, you're endangering senior citizens, and you're endangering the economy. So um, we'll see. I, I think we're in flux now. I, I think that people in Ottawa are having second thoughts about their plan. Yeah, well, it certainly would be terrible for the Liberals if they were somehow to engineer an election and then we saw a spike related to people going to the polls and then it would sort of be, you know, blood on your hands type of deal. And so they don't want to have to face the the potential, the, the possible backlash resulting from a spike that that could have been avoided. And so, meantime, though, we've got these polls that must be so tantalizing for the Liberals where you've got, um, you know, sizable uh, sample sizes. Michael, you've seen this, uh, that have the the Tories trailing by 10, uh, that have the Liberals at 40%, that have them up by 8% in uh, – this is the campaign research poll uh, that uh, the Toronto Sun ran not long ago, and and, uh, they're they're ahead – a huge in in Manitoba, in British Columbia, in Ontario. Apparently, the Tories are polling 16% in Atlantic Canada, and so it's you know it must be awfully tempting for for Justin Trudeau and company to try and and pu- push through an election that Canadians he admits don't want, but nevertheless, an opportunity does present itself, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely, and you're right. The liberal hallmark has been to exploit. Your popularity when you can, and apologize for it later. They're just afraid of putting a foot wrong here because we're in territory we've never seen, at least not in living memory. And so, uh, will they be seen as uh, making a grave error? And um, I, I think in the end, it'll probably come down to an election. But uh, I think at the moment. They're sending signals, uh, and this is what I'm getting through the uh, various political apparatus, um, that they want to spend time gearing up for virtual voting. We heard some discussion of that the other day, uh, so that you could have members of parliament and senators in their home areas and actually vote. So it would be totally remote control. The Tories are opposed to that because they say there are all kinds of security issues. How do you know who's really pushing the button? Uh, it's a further reduction in, in, in the democratic process. But that's what they're looking at now, so that your, your two options are go for an election now or go for try and find a way to go for the full term so that you don't have the, you'll be able to have enough time to put the scandals behind you. And so those are the options A and B, and right now they're starting to feel out the option on virtual voting. I want to so ask... They're one of the typical politicians. They want to have it both ways, so they'll flip a coin at the last minute and decide. A couple of issues I want to tackle before um, you get on your way. Independent Senator Michael Duffy joining us from Quebec City. Uh, are you hearing anything about O'Toole... Uh, embracing a carbon tax. Uh, I'm hearing some rumbling that the Tories might lean in that direction in a bid to try and get some of those GTA uh, voters to, to side with them, you know, the, the ones that are uh, very sensitive about the environment and the climate change and all that. I'm not hearing that. What I'm hearing is is that times are tough. People are out of work. People are getting half shifts I've, in PEI. I'm getting calls from people who say, what do I do with my kid? 
The kid had a job, not making a lot of money, but he was working 40 hours a week, and now he's been cut back to 18 hours, which is enough to keep him in pocket change and living in the basement. And so people are concerned uh, about uh, what what's going to happen uh, to their children and to the to the economic future. So anything that puts a further tax on energy at this time is uh, would be radioactive politically. And this is this is where you're going to see some pushback because the greenies are already writing in various environmental publications that once again Justin has let them down that he should have moved more quickly and now they're using COVID as an excuse not to follow through and so um, he's under pressure from the left as well now that may drive votes back to the NDP um, uh, away from the liberals but I don't hear any chance I don't see any chance uh, that the uh, Tories are going to take that on, at least while we don't have a strong economy. But I keep hearing about this Green New Deal-style agenda that's going to be all about the environment. That's what the throne speech is going to say. And so you're saying that the, the Liberals, because of economic imperatives, are going to have to put some water in their wine and just back off on the additional carbon tax that they're looking at. Yes, and you see Jerry Butt saying that to a think tank in Ottawa last week, and he's kind of the intellectual guru, even though he's removed now uh, from the bunch. I'm sure he's as near as the phone, and he's basically saying, and I saw this as a presage uh, to try and soften up the left to say, listen, we can't do it all at once, so we have to do it step by step, and at the present time, COVID's got to take uh, priority, and that means getting money into people's pockets to allow them to survive. All right. So last question on China. You've got uh, O'Toole uh, taking on this tough-on-China stance, and uh, the suggestion by Doug Saunders that this could be a winner for the Tories, uh, given uh, the sentiments that so many Canadians have that they can't trust China anymore. Well, I, I think uh, Doug Saunders is right, and I think what we've seen is the chickens are finally coming home to roost. In the past, there were so many people getting rich off of uh, advising China, advising companies doing business with China, off the whole China industry, that they looked the other way and they said, oh, no, the Chinese aren't, aren't that bad. No, no, they're not that bad. And then we've had a concerted campaign by people, human rights activists, who uh, day after day, literally every day in my inbox, I get something from either the people supporting democracy in Hong Kong, people working to help the Uyghurs uh, who are being persecuted. Uh, day after day, there's stories of more atrocities inside China coming forward. Most of them are never mentioned in the news or just en passant. But the fact of the matter is, is that the Shades have finally fallen, and you see the Chinese regime for what it is. And there are a number of great new books out there, uh, one in particular based on Australia, which is a parallel to Canada, of how they've gone in and with money bought off influence leaders, uh, opinion leaders, and, uh, and, and have begun to wield their muscle. So uh, I think Canadians are waking up to the fact that uh, China is not 
like any other country. And we're also learning, this is where Trump is right, one of the rare times, that just if you remove a dictator doesn't mean that people will immediately want to embrace democracy. There are some of these cultures where the strong man is, is seen as being uh, appropriate. And so uh, the idea that Americans should be uh, going around the world uh, opening the world for democracy, it's a great ideal. But the fact of the matter is that there are many countries where the population, um, through culture and history, are quite happy to have, uh, you don't have to think when Big Brother's telling you what to think and what to do. Well, Venezuela may be an exception to that. Democracy's messy. you got to make choices. If if Trump gets back in, I would be thinking that they might do something about Venezuela because that's that was, up until recently, kind of a liberal democracy where you could vote and choose and have free speech, and now it's it's anything but. But anyway... That's um, that's a different example, I suppose. And it's not that far from the states, so yeah, exactly. Uh, they don't want it in their backyard. Thank you, sir. Drive carefully. All the best, Mark. All right. Talk to you next week. Have Talk. a great weekend. You too. All right. Independent Senator Mike Duffy coming to us from Quebec City. All right, Jocelyn Bamford, waiting patiently on the other side of this brief timeout. Don't go away. No radio? No problem. Stream us live on saga960am.ca. Listening to the Mark Petroni Radio Program. If you'd like to call, here's the number 416 640 0200. That's 416 640 0200. The Mark Petroni Radio Program, heard exclusively on News Talk Saga 960. And we are back with more on Saga 960. Mark Petroni with you. So very glad you could join us on this Friday edition of the show. We have Jocelyn Bamford on the line. She is president of the Coalition of Concerned Manufacturers and Businesses of Canada. Jocelyn, good morning. Good morning. How are you, Mark? It's Friday. Hooray. I know. Isn't that nice? But you're a business owner. So, I mean, it's never really Friday, though, is it? I mean, you're always working. Yeah, it, it's very true. See? It's, seven, it's 7 by 24 uh, all the time. I have a home office. Um, I come home from work. I go to my home office, and it, it never ends. The boss is nodding her head. Yes, yeah, she, she, oh, she she's is not the smiling. hardest working woman in radio. I'll she's the, tell the you. hardest so working, I, I, exactly. I feel her pain. <laughs> <laughs> she's smiling because she's getting ready for her big day. Yes, we yes, were talking I know. on hold, and oh my goodness, what a, what a, a nightmare in having to replan <laughs> and plan and. It's just awful. We were talking about Punjabi weddings not that long ago, and I thought Italian weddings were huge, but that's nothing. I mean, the Punjabis, they cordon off like five blocks in city streets, and they fly in, you know, jumbo jets full of, of people from India. It's and not jumbo jets, but it's the plane, sure. <laughs> Charter they, jet. They know how to have a good time, I'll tell you that. <laughs> but uh, COVID has put a crimp in her, into her, her plans. It's actually perfect. But she likes it because she, it gives her an excuse to go small. Just a couple of thousand people, right? No, no. Just like a couple of like 10 people. 
<laughs> 10 people? I'm like cutting people uh, off my list and my mom's like, don't do that. I'm like, sorry, out. Yeah, you can say, you're next, mom. <laughs> no. You're the next to go. Well, I'm sure it's going to be a beautiful uh, day no matter what happens. Let's talk carbon taxes. There's a rumbling in the woods, and I don't know if it's true or not, that somehow, given the fact that the Tories are now languishing in the polls, possibly 10 points back, that they're set to possibly lose 15 seats if you look at the latest analysis with the, with the Liberals romping into majority territory, up to 179 seats, that uh, O'Toole and company might be prepared to consider a carbon tax. Other people say, well, they're, do- they're doing it, they just don't call it a tax. It's going to be something a little different. But they're moving in that direction. Uh, what does that make you, make you think of somebody who may be considering voting conservative in order to get rid of the Liberal Party carbon tax? You know, what, are yourself, what, what are we getting into with a conservative government? And here's the thing. Um, New research that just came out, uh, poll says that the economy is the top public concern at 30%, health is 25%, and the environment is just now at 7%. Um, And that's even in Vancouver, where they have a smoke uh, coming from uh, California and Oregon fires. And this was an article written today um, in uh, CTV News. Um, and and so and here's what happens with conservatives. They always seem to be ten steps back in in at what ordinary folks are interested in. So so they they have decided that they lost the la- the last election because they didn't have enough climate policies in there. And that's not why they lost the last election. They lost the last election because they had a guy that couldn't stand up for anything, um, would cower when asked even the most simple of questions. And instead of looking strategically at why they really lost the election, they listened to the liberals and the liberal media that tells them why they lost the election. And they, the liberal media says, oh, you lost the election because you weren't liberal enough. And, and that is absolute falsehood. They lost the last election because their leader wasn't authentic. He couldn't sell a brick in a riot. <laughs> and, and that is why they lost the election. It wasn't because they didn't support carbon tax. There is a groundswell of folks that are realizing that a lot of these carbon taxes are absolutely ineffective. And all they do is divorce us from our money. And, and, and they do nothing to help the environment. Canada is 1.4% uh, of greenhouse gases. We could turn off all the lights. We could stop driving our cars. We could shut down every single piece of industry. And we are not going to have an impact on global greenhouse gases. But here's what we can do. We can take our clean, liquefied natural gas and export that to China, and we could do that if we got pipelines through, and we could help them come off coal, and that would have an impact on the world environment, and that's the story the conservatives should be doing. Instead of listening to folks like Ken Bosenkuhl, who write ridiculous articles that say, if you have a carbon tax, you will win the 905. No, you won't. 905ers are commuters. They feel the impact on their wallet. And Doug Ford won the 905 
with an anti-carbon tax message. What the conservatives need to do is learn how to get an authentic leader who could communicate effectively and get a better comms team because their communication is horrible. Yeah, Ford proved that in the last provincial election in Ontario. He ran against a carbon tax and he didn't he kick butt. I mean, why, why can't the federal conservatives do the same thing? But they're preparing the federal liberals are going to table a throne speech. We just spoke with Senator Duffy, who says, given the state of the economy, that the liberals are going to have to put some water in their wine in terms of moving forward with a radical environmental agenda, the kind of thing that's, that tends to devastate economies and would certainly devastate your organization. I mean, companies like uh, you know, plastics companies, for instance, and other manufacturers could very well be headed for greener pastures if, uh, if a radical environmental agenda was tabled federally. But uh, do you take any comfort in the idea that, that the liberal government may say, well, you know, given the state of things, we have to focus on COVID, so we'll back off on plans to completely overhaul the economy? Well, so and they're doing that because they looked at the polls and they've realized that it's it's a dud. And and here's the thing that I don't understand: um, conservatives have an amazing opportunity right now. People want to bring back manufacturing. They understand the vulnerable position we have put ourselves in by offshoring our masks, our gowns, our gloves, our ventilators, and they don't want to have that happen again. So if the conservatives could just run on, we're going to bring back manufacturing. We're not going to tax manufacturers to death. We're not going to have terrible policies. And all they need to do is point to the failed green energy policy in Ontario. And what happened with the green energy policy in Ontario? It drove up electrical bills, not only for the residents who had to decide between heating and eating, and and it drove businesses out because businesses relocated to the United States and saved millions uh, or half a million to over millions of dollars in, in cost of electricity, and they didn't have to pay carbon tax. So they, have, they just have to point to that failed green energy policy, which, by the way, they promised would bring on all these green jobs. And what happened is we gave companies uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars in tax incentives to start up the solar pal- panel and wind uh, 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 companies. And then what happened is they ended up going bankrupt or offshoring their manufacturing and all those jobs were lost. So we paid for jobs that we never saw materialize. And so just point to that failed uh, program in, in Ontario and, and highlight to people how much it's going to cost you. So how much is it going to cost you? Check out the clean fuel standards that's coming down the pipe. So if you take your uh, carbon tax that you have to pay on your elect- on your um, heating your home, your natural gas, the clean fuel standards is going to be a carbon tax on a carbon tax. So you can uh, anticipate tripling that cost um, for the tax, and that will be huge. And who wants to see that cost during a pandemic where people are losing their jobs? So you've got clean fuel standards. You've got this whole uh, move to green energy. You've got the destruction of our natural resources. You get um, programs and projects that people have proposed that would put uh, good-paying jobs uh, for Canadians all being canceled or scuttled. And then you add this plastics ban. They're moving to declare plastics as toxic. If plastics were toxic, why would we wrap our food in it? And that is going to suffocate our plastics and our petrochemical industry. There will be nothing left. And so I encourage uh, listeners to just go and Google 
GDP of Canada look, by industry and look at the, the, where the money comes from in our industry. Our second largest GDP contribution is manufacturing, and our third is a resource sector, and the Liberal government wants to destroy those two sectors. And that is not hyperbole. That is absolutely what's happening with all of these additional um, taxes. It's driving companies either out of business or to the United States. And then the one last thing I also urge Canadians to understand is the profit margin in Canadian companies, uh, the perception is, by most people, it's around 34%. The actual net profit margin of most companies, and remember in Canada, 92% of all companies are 100 people and below, is somewhere between 1% and 7%. So, so if, if uh, politicians, because a lot of them don't understand um, economics, uh, think that there is a giant money trade just because you're a business owner in your backyard and that they can pile on these costs um, that will absolutely absorb any profit. They are putting businesses out of business and they are costing jobs and that is what the conservatives should be talking about instead of chasing after um, these ridiculous programs that do nothing for the environment but just cost us money. Last question. Uh, we've been hearing that the Ford government is going to be taking steps to try and bring down the costs associated with energy, um, and companies like yours could benefit from some of those changes, possibly related at dealing with these horrifically terrible contracts that were signed by the previous government, the Liberal government, with some of these wind and solar guys, which we're stuck with right now. Uh, but the government is looking at taking steps. We've been hearing about it. Have you heard anything about the movement by the Ford government to try and deal with these issues? Well, we have to get um, uh, competitive energy costs. Our electricity costs in Canada are all, the highest in North America, or in Ontario, are highest um, in North America. Um, the Class B industrial user, which is uh, most of, again, the small to medium-sized businesses, are paying between 28 and 32 cents a kilowatt hour. The going rate in North America is between 4 and 8 cents. And what's the majority of that cost? The majority is the, the global adjustment charge. And the global adjustment charge is what the government used to pay for all these wind and solar contracts. So people got 90 cents a kilowatt hour, and they got them for 20 years, and they got them whether or not they produced energy. And it's unfair to burden your manufacturing, your small to medium-sized manufacturing, with these costs. And, and a lot of the uh, previous liberal government um, and the federal government uh, it seems to saddle up with very large corporations. They get all these tax breaks. Uh, they get uh, a Class A industrial rate. And who pays for them? The small to medium-sized business. So it, it, they're very much, um, it, it's a system that punishes small ent um, entrepreneurs and, and gives large uh, amounts to the corporations. And that is fundamentally not fair. Jocelyn, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Anytime, Mark. You guys have a wonderful weekend. All right. Jocelyn Bamford is president of the Coalition of Concerned Manufacturers and Businesses of Canada. We'll be back with more news talk right here on Saga 960 after this. Stream us live at saga960am.ca.
You were listening to the Mark Petroni radio program. If you'd like to call, here's the number. 416-640-0200. That's 416-640-0200. The Mark Petroni radio program heard exclusively on News Talk Saga 960. And we're back with more News Talk. So very glad you could join us. We are uh, 10 minutes away from... The latest edition of UFO Friday with William Pullen. He's going to be coming to us from uh, San Antonio in the great state of Texas. Uh, I'll have a quick look at the markets, but first we have Darko on the line. Darko. Hey, how you doing? Excellent. Thank you. What's going on? Yeah, just thinking, you know, oh, they're going to have 10 people per, per bus, are they now? And if you go on a flight, you're going to only have 10 people on a flight. You know, like this uh, restricting people having 10 people. People gathering indoors, but it's okay to take a flight from Toronto to Vancouver with countless number of people on there, or to ride a bus across town where there is no social distancing. That's all fine, right? Nobody ever gets sick that way. Yeah, I mean, I mean the hypocrisy is unbelievable. So you're not, you're not. Well, there people are worried about a surge. And uh, there, there are some suggestions that it's coming. It's, it has happened in the UK. We've seen the numbers go up. But mind you, the testing is up as well. Well, I found something interesting when you were talking to the London calling. What is, I forget his name now. But Graham Elson. Graham, Graham, right, yeah. That, that, the, the number of deaths seems pretty low. That's right. Right? So, That's right. Like, I don't know what's going on there. Well, maybe because know. a lot of the people who are vulnerable are dead already. I mean, I know it sounds bad. It sounds really grim for well, me to say. Be. But I mean, I'm not sure, right? You know, we talked about issues that happened in our long-term care once uh, all this stuff started happening, and they were, they were becoming more increasingly more short-staffed for uh, whatever reason, right? We can go into that. The story is but that Ontario I, is rolling back gathering limits in some areas of the province and also implementing new fines for people who host and attend large gatherings. And we heard uh, a push to get tougher in in Quebec as well. Uh, that's But the Premier Doug Ford did announce that yesterday. This comes as the province reported 293 new cases of COVID-19. Infections right. in Ontario have been on the upswing since mid-August. Ford said that uh, starting today, Ottawa and in, in Toronto and Ottawa and Peel region, that's where we're based, uh, gatherings are now limited to 25 people outdoors and 10 people indoors. And those new caps do not extend to places such as restaurants, movie theaters, banquet halls, gyms, and convention centers. And of course, public transit and uh, anything, air flight, which I guess is regulated by the federal government. But yeah, I, I just find it, I just find it really like, you know, when it's a private thing, it's, it's different than when it's something that the, the government wants to keep up and going they get to do what they want, which has always been the case, right? They, yeah. can, they basically have carte blanche to just make some laws, some put it through their legislature or parliament, and they get away with it, right? There's, uh, there's definitely so, a know, lot of frustration about this. We're going to have something all the time strictly across the board. You know, if I went to a restaurant, I remember being in, in Hamilton at the Black Forest Inn, and so it's part of the restaurant has booths, and part of them have tables. So they, it, where there's tables, they space them out accordingly to fit that six feet or more even, it seemed... And where there was booths, they actually had taped them off so you couldn't use every second or every third or, or two out of three booths were off limits. I don't see that on buses. Yeah. 
Well, I went, to, I went to Justino's for pizza last night with a friend, and he told me that uh, one quarter of his tables are gone, so he had to, in order to yeah. allow them. But he wasn't very busy last night. I think we were the only only people in the place, my friend and I. Anyway, I got to run, but thank you for oh, your call. Okay, thanks, Mark. Take, Take care. Here. Have a great weekend. Quick, uh, quick look at the markets. Uh, the Dow is down 122 points, so... I'm hearing that a lot of the billionaires, a lot of the rich folks, are dumping stocks like crazy, and I think that's kind of being reflected a little bit in terms of what we're seeing in the in the stock market. Nasdaq also down, down six points. All right, we got Rio on the line. Quick call, Rio. What's going on? Oh, too much, Mark. Uh, further story, then I'll get into this Corona thing. So yesterday. My father-in-law passed away from the corona. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. And her mother's not doing well at all. Her brother's in the hospital. And But, you know, just to get on the topic of it, you know what? They've been isolated for six months. Everything that you see that when they're isolating, like what happened in the old age homes, right? These people died, right? You never hear, like I think Dark was just saying, like the TTC, this this is the most uh, congregational parts of, <laughs> that you could have, right? And, and because it's a government thing, they don't close it. What's the difference of ten or thirty people in, in a place? It, it, yeah, my my father-in-law should have been living it up the past six months. Was he well, in anywhere, health? He'd probably Was... be alive, but because you're inside, like what happened in Italy, what I said, you're inside sucking back all this stale stale air, right? Yeah, and. Well. Uh, if you're moving around outside, getting fresh air, you're probably better off. But when, you, when you're inside, this is the worst thing that could happen. Like, people got to wake up. This is, this is stupid. Well, I think you do get weaker if you're not exposed to sunshine. You know, you've got so many people who end up very sick are often found to have depleted levels of vitamin D in their system. And so you have to, if you're not getting into the sun, at least try to take a supplement. In my yeah, humble opinion, I don't, right. give, I, I don't give medical advice, but it's just a kind of a common sense thing. But I am sorry to hear about your in-laws. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hope, so, um, yeah. yeah, but the, the thing is... Um, you know, I know, and we all know now that it is a man-made thing for sure. That's Rio, I gotta this, run, this but this is unlike other viruses. I think we're we're all we're all gonna be exposed to it. So to be afraid and hide, it doesn't work. Yeah, excellent point. Gotta run. Yeah. Thank you, Rio. All right, we got Peter McKay on the line. Peter, of course, former cabinet minister, recently ran for the leadership of his party, was not successful in doing so, but we always welcome him to the show. Peter, how are you this morning? I'm doing well, Mark. I'm back in my native Nova Scotia, and we're unpacking and, uh, you know, getting ready for what comes next. When one door closes, another opens. Yeah. Well, I certainly hope that's the case. I mean, a lot of people are disappointed that you are not successful. But uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, China, because you're an expert very much in the field, because you're a foreigner former foreign affairs minister. We've got uh, Aaron O'Toole now, who is the leader of the party, uh, taking on this uh, mantle of getting tough on China. Meantime, we've got a government in Ottawa that has just ended its ongoing discussions with China on the issue of, of free trade. So they're backing away from that. There are suggestions by some analysts that the government is, that the Trudeau government is vulnerable on the issue of its dealings with China. Meantime, we've got the two Michaels still locked away, but you've also got Huawei kind of sitting out there as well in left field, and people are wondering, well, if you're going to back away from free trade talks, why have you not made a decision on Huawei yet and the proposed rollout of its 5G network here in Canada? 
Yeah, and all of those issues are certainly related, Mark. Um, Mr. Trudeau and his government seem to be the proverbial windsock party. They're going to blow whichever way the public opinion is going. Uh, so they're reading the tea leaves, pardon the pun, and uh, seeing that uh, the Canadians are not enamored in any way, shape, or form with China, the treatment of the two Michaels, but other Canadian citizens as well. They are very pernicious efforts to take over Canadian natural resources. Meanwhile, back in their own country, their treatment of Uyghurs, uh, Tibetans, uh, Falun Gong practitioners, they're menacing India at their border, building islands in contested waters in the South China Sea, and generally through the Belt and Road Initiative, trying to buy up the infrastructure of neighboring countries in the world. So there's a lot to be concerned about. I think it's an understatement to say that the Prime Minister has been extremely naive in his belief that somehow he was going to bring China around to his point of view on human rights and women's rights and uh, LGBTQ rights and religious freedoms. He, um, he entered into his time in office with perhaps uh, a view that was held by his father, that somehow China was going to be more Western-leaning in her orientation. That simply hasn't panned out over decades. And the Chinese think in such centuries, the Chinese regime, I'm quick to add. And so Canada, unfortunately, is in the position where we're between the rock and the proverbial hard place. The United States has taken a much stronger role in pushing back on Chinese trade deficits. They have called them out for their hacking and their attempts to uh, steal intellectual property. And Canada, again, has sort of been uh, sitting back and, and thinking somehow naively that we were going to influence them. And it just it didn't happen. And, and now, I suppose, as we're coming up against a, a potential election and uh, the political winds are changing, uh, Mr. Trudeau is similarly changing, changing with the polls, changing in his approach, and thinking we were ever going to get a free trade agreement. You'll recall, Mark, he, he went there... Uh, Pronounced before he got on the plane that this free trade agreement was going to happen, and of course was quickly shown the door as soon as he arrived in Beijing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, I appreciate your input on that file. Uh, you know, I wanted to ask you about the upcoming U.S. election. I mean, anybody uh, looking at that situation and the potential, uh, the potential for violence following what happens there can't help but be somewhat concerned here we are the the neighbor to the north we're looking down at what's going on there you know i don't want to indulge in hyperbole but there's open talk of civil war down there uh peter you've heard it as as well as i have with between various factions you've got these radicals on the streets you've got all sorts of violence many of the cities down there uh, in flames as a result of uh, these uh, riots whether it's Black Lives Matter or whether it's Antifa in clashes with the police. Meantime, you've got these blue, uh, these radical mayors calling for the defunding of the police. Even people at higher levels are doing so. You've got a Democrat representative who, frankly, is showing signs that he's in serious states of uh, a serious state of cognitive decline. When you look at this incredible event about to happen, what goes through your head? Well, just what you've said, alarm, um, concern for the future of America, um, which impacts, of course, very much on Canada and North America. Uh, Our economy is so closely tied, but so are many, many other things, including our security, our national security, uh, our ability to contribute internationally. 
one can't help but uh, long for a different time when you had seemingly more moderate, um, sensible, intelligent voices. And one who comes to mind, of course, is John McCain, who I had the good fortune to, to come to know and work with. And, and yet, we don't seem to see people stepping forward and, and into those public roles the way we used to. And that, uh, that is, you know, I, I lament for that. But the United States also, Mark, I'm quick to point out, has an incredible resilience about it. It always has throughout its history. And in spite of the chaos that you've described accurately, I, I still believe the United States will rebound and, and respond. And um, we will see something more civilized emerge. It, uh, it is difficult right now. There's no question with the divisions that exist in the United States, and, and we're not immune to it in Canada. Defunding the police just to single that one issue out is certainly not the answer. It's certainly not going to assist in bringing about a better sense of, uh, of who they are and, and how their communities have to work together. Uh, the police are who we rely on. The police are who are needed most at a time when violence and arson and uh, looting is, uh, is emerging. Um, we can have these protests and expressions of frustration without resorting to uh, violence and uh, vandalism and uh, burning down businesses and homes. That isn't the way in the United States or anywhere for that matter. A lot of people were disappointed, as I said earlier, by your defeat. Um, I, I would be remiss of me not to ask what your future is. I, I mean, obviously, you're weighing your options. One of them, I understand, is is running in uh, in Central Nova for your old seat. Is that correct? Well, I had a brief conversation. I wanted to call in. Um, we're in isolation now or, or quarantine as a result of having come home from Ontario. Uh, so I called in to the Riding Association meeting, which happened, and just to thank them. They delivered a 92% uh, outcome my favor here in Central Nova in my old riding. I know those folks uh, very well and know this community well, so I wanted to express appreciation. They, um, they're very interested, uh, I understand, in having me run for the nomination. I, I'm just not at that decision point yet. It's um, still too fresh, and I'm concentrating, frankly, on mundane things like unpacking and, uh, of course, importantly, getting this kid uh, registered in school and just getting through this uh, this period um, before making any life-altering decisions. These are big decisions for nothing. So. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Have you had any chats with uh, with uh, the new leader, O'Toole, around this issue and the possibility of, of having you run? I haven't. No, I haven't spoken to him about it. All right. Well, we uh, we thank you for calling in. And I hope that I, we could tap into your uh, your experience on this file going forward because it's it's an, a critical one in my opinion, and you've certainly got a great background when it comes to discussing these issues, a lot of uh, depth of knowledge, and so it's always helpful to our listeners to get your perspective. So we thank you and hope you can come on again soon. My pleasure, Mark. Thank you for uh, taking such an interest in a leadership role and in, in bringing these issues forward and keeping people informed. It is, as you say important at a time like it. Peter McKay joining us from Picta County in the great and beautiful province of Nova Scotia. All right, my friends, back with, uh, I guess, what, what are we going to do? We're going to do the news? News, and then over to William Poland and UFO Friday. It's all coming your way after this. Yeah. 
The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Talk Hour 2 of the Mark Petrotti Radio Program and your latest edition of UFO Friday. We love to look into that topic. We haven't been doing it with the same regularity that we used to, but we still love the topic and we love having William Poland on the show. Oh, I'm just told that uh, William is not connected right now. Hope he's not mad at us because we're a little late going to his segment. William, call back. <laughs> well, we're going to try to get William on the line. And William is in uh, San Antonio, Texas. And I know he's going to want to talk about this story. Okay, Tom DeLong. Do you, any, any Blink-182 fans out there? This Blink-182. And I, are you a fan? William William's on the phone. William Pullen. Uh, hi, Mark. How are you? Excellent. Uh, I am Thank not you. a fan. <laughs> but you know the lead singer is a big-time UFO guy, right? He's been talking about this stuff. He's got a, a new show, I guess, and he's been talking about things like Moonwalkers, a mysterious 1940s crash. Well, I don't know. We know about Roswell, of course. Is, is yeah. And he says uh, this is a story in The Guardian and what Donald Trump and Boris Johnson dare not reveal. The suggestion here, William, according to Mr. DeLong, is that these two world leaders are not telling everything they know about the UFO file. I mean, we've heard that about the past, that leaders you know, have not been open about it, but we've heard precious little that Trump is hiding something regarding the UFOs out there. I, what, I, what have you heard? I've heard the reverse, and I believe the reverse, that Trump and Johnson and the majority of the other U.S. presidents are kind of uh, out of the loop. They're not aware of what's, what's going on. They may have inklings, but all of them have more important things to deal with, like the economy, terrorism, wars overseas, to ask if flying saucers are real. So um, I could be wrong, but what I've been hearing is that the long claims are just that. They're just claims, and they're unsubstantiated. So. The Japanese seem to have taken more of an interest in the, in the topic. J- J- yeah. Japan's self-defense force now has received instructions on the steps to take in case of UFOs. So if they run into a UFO, they uh, I, I obviously they have a protocol in place to deal with it. So is this something that all militaries have in your um, does does the US military for instance have a protocol in place to deal with UFOs? Uh, yeah, I, I would hope they would. I mean because you have to have to some on some level you have to have some uh, some plan in place in case you do interact with something that's unknown, whether it's from another country or not. And a UFO would fall into that category. So I would hope the military would be prepared because they're, I mean, their mandate is to defend their countries against, against all possible potential threats. Uh, a UFO might fall into that. Uh, we don't know. So they should be prepared. So I like that point. Of, I like that approach because uh, we're dealing with something we have no idea about. So, therefore, we should be cautious and uh, cover all our bases. So, um, actually, that's a good approach. Interesting story uh, that uh, Venus may actually have life on it. Uh, I mean, I, 
I don't know how much research you've done on this, but they have found chemicals on Venus that suggest that uh, there may be a form of extraterrestrial life on us. Uh, this is uh, toxic, but on Earth, the toxic gas is produced by microbial life. And so they, I guess they figure that if it exists on Venus, that there might be life there. Are you familiar with this story? Yeah, I, I read it in passing. It, it's interesting. I think the scientists are kind of theorizing that there, the existence of this gas proves that it might be microbial life existing in the atmosphere of Venus. Um, I haven't heard anyone make the claim that there might be life on the surface of Venus. Um, and the same kind of scenario has been discussed about Jupiter also, that Jupiter's atmosphere may have enough chemicals and reactions going that life might exist in the, in the atmosphere. But it wouldn't be terrestrial life as we know it. So um, it's interesting uh, that they found that going on, and uh, we'll see what, uh, what comes of it. William Pullen joining us from San Antonio in the great state of Texas. All right, so what are you working on right now? I mean, is, are you seeing some – are you researching – you're constantly researching new things in, in the UFO space. What's going on that, that interests you? Well, you know, I've been, I've been interested – uh, for quite a few months now, that it's not really uh, a UFO case per se, but how uh, the prevalence of fake news and misinformation in the political realm has kind of bled over into the UFO field. So people are making claims that are unsubstantiated, like the, the uh, Tom DeLong claims. He's making claims he's embraced because he's a celebrity. But do the claims have any credibility to them? Is, are there, is there any information to back those claims up? And a lot of times there isn't, and that's very troubling. Um, people will embrace things wholeheartedly, without one iota of evidence. And that's, that's always been a problem in the UFO field. So I'm kind of, uh, on, my, on my blog page, I've been trying to write, uh, write up uh, and address the issue in a very straightforward manner, stating that you know, we need to have evidence to back these claims up. We just can't believe things at face value. We should, we should know better than that. So. MUFON is, uh, well, it's a rather troubled organization these days, as you're aware. Uh, William, they've just announced their 2021 International Symposium. Military and government witnesses speak out. So this is kind of a big deal. This is people who are on the inside, supposedly, and they're going to come forward. This is taking place July 23rd to the 25th. I'm not sure how COVID factors in, but the uh, it's an international event and it will be it'll it will feature people stepping forward who have apparently information that hasn't been made in the public in the past, and it's going to be from military and government witnesses. So are you excited about this? And is this a way for MUFON to kind of change the channel on those allegations related to sexual improprieties by some of those involved in that organization? Uh, It's it's a big step in the right direction for them because they need to regain some credibility. Uh, They really do. They've made... They've had a whole list of uh, self-inflicted wounds over the past year, so they need to regain some credibility, not just in the Oakville community, but overall. Um, so that this is a step in the right direction. Um, I like that approach. You're, you're, you're bringing forward witnesses that are credible in positions of knowledge that uh, we as civilians don't have, and um, they have a level of credibility that's higher than, say, uh, Joe Smith, who's a farmer in Nebraska. This is a person who has, might have access to more secret information, the trained observers, military pilots, government officials. That kind of testimony has more weight. And so uh, them coming forward and testifying about what they know about the UFO field, the UFO problem, that's a big deal. So I think that's uh, a credit to MUFON for 
uh, taking that approach. That That is certainly a, a level of damage control they desperately need. There's talk that TikTok is seeing an extraordinary number of, of UFO-related uh, videos. Yeah. Are you from... <laughs> have you been on that site? This is a site that's been kind of controversial in certain respects because it's associated with, with a Chinese firm, ByteDance, and yeah. it's, it's been the subject of... Um, well, I, I think Oracle is the one that bought that. I think that's what ended up happening. I have to check my, my business pages to find it, to get an update on that. But apparently it features a lot of UFO, compelling UFO videos. Have you checked any of that out? I did. I, I took a kind of a, honestly, a cursory glance at it. Um, it's like YouTube. I mean, there's a lot of fake content there. There's some videos that are interesting. But again, the vast majority don't hold up after some level of scrutiny, meaning a, an image analyst, a professional, will take a look at the videos and be able to tell that they are a blimp or an, air, or an aircraft or uh, simply alive in the sky that's probably most likely a comet or a planet. So but they're out there and they're embraced by the community. But, um, I mean, it's, it's another platform to post things, but as to... What percentage actually show anomalous objects? Um, like YouTube, I would think a very small percentage, but it's interesting. There was one posted on Monday showing what uh, many users believe was a UFO in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to read this. <laughs> this is a story in insider.com. Rather than aliens, though, people were probably just seeing a Goodyear blimp flown to capture uh, aerial footage of an NFL game. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's exactly what it was. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, it was. Uh, it was embraced uh, wholeheartedly by the UFO community. It was. It went viral. Uh, you heard people on the videos stating the aliens are coming, we're being invaded, mixed in with a good amount of foul language, um, and that's that has nothing to do with the claim. But it was interesting. Um, yeah, again, the videos were so such low quality that. You could not make a definitive declaration about them because of the lack of quality, the lack of, of details. But they immediately jumped to aliens. And uh, to me, that's the biggest, the biggest problem is that when we examine this stuff, we should look at the more likely explanations first before we get to the exotic. And yeah, some exactly. cases that are really thought-provoking do suggest the exotic on well, occasion, but the vast majority don't. And uh, this was clearly a blimp. But uh, despite that, there are still people that are Sticking their guns and saying alien. Um, <laughs> that speaks volumes. Yeah, well, you, you see it constantly on TV, you know, no matter what goes on. There's the, the History Channel, you know, Ancient Aliens. Yeah. It was all about the aliens, doesn't, you know, yeah, if you're going to build sure it. <laughs> <laughs> William, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks, Mark. Take care. William Pullen coming to us from San Antonio in the great state of Texas. Quick time out. And then, uh, well, eight minutes from now, Miles Kristen is going to be joining us with his take on the latest in the U.S. election campaign. Never boring, I'll give him that. And quick, so quick time out, don't go away. Stream us live at saga960am.ca. Listening to the Mark Petroni Radio Program. If you'd like to call, here's the number 
416-640-0200. That's 416-640-0200. The Mark Petroni Radio Program, heard exclusively on News Talk Saga 960. And we're back with more News Talk, so very glad you could join us on this Friday edition of the show, right here on Saga 960. Well, I don't know how it is, but CNN has figured out that COVID will only spread at Trump rallies, but will not spread in BLM, Black Lives Matter protests. You know what? And it reminds me of something that happens. It's an interesting phenomenon. You'll see people gathered at a news conference. Miles Kristen joins us, by the way, from near Madison, Wisconsin. Miles, maybe you've seen this. So you'll have, say, four people gathered behind the microphone. They'll all be physical distancing. They'll all be wearing microphones. One of them will step towards the microphone, and even though there's people around, they'll take their uh, their mask off so that they can be heard. And I think it's because microphones kill the COVID-19 virus. I think, I, I don't know what you think about this possibility here, but so rather than having a mask on, maybe I can walk around, just have a microphone in front of my face, because as soon as I, somehow I become immune. Do I? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, this is going to be way out of left field, but actually that kind of reminds me of uh, when they supposedly found the passport of one of the 9-11 hijackers amongst the rubble in New York City. It's like, oh, okay, so the planes, dis- you know, evaporated, all this stuff evaporated, but a passport survived perfectly. Okay? Yeah, that, that reminds me of the magic bullet on the back oh, <laughs> side. The magic bullet the magic theory bullet, that shot pristine. Kennedy, for those who don't know, and shot multiple other people in the vehicle. Exactly. It hit like four, th- it stopped in midair at one point, did a U-turn or did a, did a, did a 90. Did <laughs> stopped at a 7-Eleven, had but, a big gulp. But and, uh, the, killing th- the killer was just finding, discovering this pristine bullet right there there you go there's there's proof that it was it was no, uh, fired no. from the uh, from the Texas school book uh, depository now if we're if we're going to talk about the hilariousness of you know uh, I mean there's really nothing funny about covid but the you know what we go and say okay shame on these people but not these people for the way they act when in regards to covid I mean yeah you're right and and <clears throat> I mean, I don't think people should be having indoor rallies. I mean, I personally don't think people should be having rallies. But, yeah, if you can have a rally, do it outside. I think we've come to see that being outside is a little safer in regards to all this stuff. But, you know, in Madison especially, it's like every time uh, a group of Christians or conservatives get together, it's like, oh, shame on them. Oh, but these Black Lives Matter protesters are having a cookout, uh, you know, at the, at the Capitol Square or outside of a government building or at the mall. And it's like, okay, uh, food service is a very difficult thing, and they're all, you know, doing more regulations on food service. And yet, you know, some a bunch of people who have no license to do that in the first place are like, oh, we're going to have a cookout, or, oh, we have protests with a few thousand pe- people, let's all get pizzas, and People are so dumb when it comes oh, to really stuff. But finally, Nancy Pelosi, I guess, has come out and uh, said something about, yeah, this is violence. We don't approve of violence. But I want to hear CNN. Let's hear CNN talk about this. Uh, it was a panel di- panel discussion about COVID. Tuesday, the Trump campaign communications director, Tim Murtaugh, um, talking about the impact of indoor rallies on the spread of COVID versus uh, outdoor protests for the Black Lives Matter movement. Just, just listen to this from Mr. Murtaugh. 
If people can protest in the streets by the tens of thousands, if people can riot, if people can gamble in casinos, then certainly they can gather peacefully under the First Amendment to hear from the President of the United States. Um, I, I hear the casino point, but to the to the protests outside versus indoor rallies, uh, what is your take? I think it's important for us to, as public health experts, to lead with the science. And the science tells us that this is a virus that does not discriminate. It doesn't care why it is that people are gathering, but it does care about the conditions under which they're gathering. So outdoors, much safer than indoors. Wearing masks, obviously much safer than not wearing masks. And I also, in this case, would distinguish between the behavior of the participants while at protests versus rallies. At protests, many people are aware of the risks and are doing everything they can to reduce that risk versus at many of these rallies. Where people going uh, do you believe that? Yeah, it's those people, those rioters throwing bricks at cops. You know, they're being sensitive about the possible spread of COVID. You know, if, if you got 10,000 people and uh, 5,000 of them are wearing masks, but of the 5,000 wearing masks, they're... Uh, having it on their chin most of the time, not covering their face, and they're all taking the mask off to, you know, scream and chant in the megaphones. I mean, chanting is really not a good idea right now, right? Because, like, you're yelling, you're screaming, you're putting saliva into the air. And, um, listen, I've spent many, many, many years on megaphones and doing chants and all this stuff. And, you know, I've, I've come to realize that with the complex issues that we face in this world, a three-syllable chant is not going to fix that. And, and every party is guilty of it. You talk to a libertarian, they go, taxation is theft. Well, it's a lot more difficult than that. You know, conservatives like to yell, uh, the build the wall stuff, you know, and it's immigration's more complex than that. And then you've got now beyond people, you know, saying, uh, you know, defund the police. And it's like, uh, the funding of police issue is much more complicated. If you defund the police, you're just going to probably increase civil asset forfeiture, and cops are probably going to, um, you know, find other ways of getting the funding they need. It's like if, if we defunded the CIA tomorrow, do you think the CIA would still have some sources of income? I, I can probably think of a few, you know, and um, complex issues need, you know, real solutions, not just chance. Miles Kristen joining us from nearby uh, Madison, Wisconsin. So, uh, you're predicting that the Biden uh, uh, ticket, the was uh, it Harris Biden now? I'm not sure. I, I think it's it's Harris. It's not Biden Harris. She's actually wearing the pants in that relationship. But let me ask you this: You think that Florida is going to go Democrat? Is that because COVID has killed off so many Trump supporters, elderly ones? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, not answer that particular <laughs> phrase in the question, uh, but I don't know. I don't know on that that particular part. The fact that COVID has been really, really bad in Florida will probably play a factor. The fact that the Parkland shooting happened there, and I'm sure that the Democrats have used that tragedy to as a political tool ever since it happened. I mean, you probably have, you know quote-unquote nonpartisan groups who are advocate, basically advocating for the Democrats who have probably used school shootings and other, there have been other horrible shootings down there, and they've probably been advocating for left-leaning politicians from ever since those sorts of things happened. So you have 
the shootings, you have the COVID. And then keep in mind, Obama won Florida in 2008. I believe he may have lost it in 2012. I know Obama lost some of the state in 2012, that he had won in 2008. And he was actually one of the only presidents to actually be reelected with less votes and less electoral votes. But you got Bloomberg now throwing $100 million into that state. Now, then again, Bloomberg says he's going to do something, doesn't necessarily always do it. He said he was going to pay all those staffers up and through his, beyond his own campaign, and he's not necessarily doing that now. But uh, $100 million, even if he throws in $80 million, that's still a lot of money. So I, I think they could flip Florida. But, you know, if you don't get Pennsylvania or, you know, a handful of other states, Trump still wins. Let's hear Biden yesterday at the CNN town hall. Let's hear what he had to say. If the president had done his job, had done his job from the beginning, all the people would still be alive. All the people, I'm not making this up, just look at the data. Look at the data. And as then, we're now being told there's going to be no, I pray to God there's a, a vaccine tomorrow that could be available to everyone. First of all, once a vaccine is made available, and you know this well, once it's made available, it's going to be... If the- all right, so there you go. If, if Trump had done his job, nobody would have died of COVID in the United States. <laughs> I, I mean, so- that's... that's uh, uh, of course, people would have still died from it. Um, the What percentage, what numbers? I mean, I, I, I think Trump had major failings, but I also think that this is a problem bigger than just Trump or, you know, the politicians or, you know, either party. I mean, if the Democrats had been in, they would have screwed up, too. They probably just would have screwed up in a different way. And there's so many things that could have been done from the beginning of this. I mean, uh I'm not one necessarily for restrictions and so forth, but, you know, there could have been some restrictions on uh, your cruise ships. And, you know, really the universities had a responsibility to tell their students that if you screw up and you do stupid, irresponsible stuff, like, you know, the kids in the, it was a Kentucky or whatever that had the quote unquote COVID party, and then hundreds of them got sick, and, and these flats and sororities, like, universities should have tell, uh, told their people, you know, if you're acting irresponsible, you can be kicked out of school. And employers should have done more. I have said this all along, that the insurance companies in the United States could have done a lot more to advise people about being responsible and what policies they want to see from, you know, their customers and so forth, especially in regards to companies. And, and the, you know, the travel between, say, a place like Wisconsin and um, Illinois. I mean, there's so much more that could have been done. And it's strange because you think 10, 15 years ago, they were writing out scenarios, especially after 9-11 when we had the anthrax issue. I mean, we, we had all this stuff on the books about what to do in a serious situation. And you had Trump do what he did. You had a lot of Republicans follow suit. And you had a lot of state Democrats who didn't want to do anything. You know, there's so much that wasn't done by politicians because they answer to this corporation and this lobbying group and this lobbying group. And it's a huge failure far beyond just Trump. I want to ask you about the shadowy influence of, uh, of the Soros group, uh, the financier who has widely 
been seen as the guy who has bankrolled some of these protest movements in the United States that have been so destructive. There was some discussion on it on Fox News, and things got kind of uncomfortable where panel members didn't want to talk about it. Newt Gingrich was on there, the former Speaker of the House of um, Representatives. Let's hear a little bit of that exchange. Pro-criminal and overwhelmingly elected with George Soros' money, and they're a major cause of the violence we're seeing because they keep putting the violent criminals back on the street. I'm not sure we need to bring George get Soros the into this. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say you get the last, last word, he Speaker. <laughs> he, he, he paid for it. I mean, why can't we discuss the fact that... All right. Well, well don't, mad, don't mind the man behind I, the curtain. I agree with Melissa. George Soros doesn't need to be a part of this conversation. Nobody wanted to talk. Okay. That's Marie Harf, who's a former spokesperson for Obama. So uh, Harris Faulkner, uh, the host, didn't want to talk about him. And uh, Marie Harf didn't want to talk about it. We don't have to bring him into the conversation. Why not? I, I guess that's the name that cannot be spoken in the United States, at least not on Fox. That's that's hilarious. I mean, especially with Fox, you know, and, and there's he's one of many, you know, and I, that's the thing, too, is you, you think about people would always go up on and on and on about the Koch brothers. And it's like the Koch brothers are just the two guys you've heard of. You know, there's probably a hundred other guys with that kind of money and power that nobody even knows about, you know, and it's it's weird that you do have these people funding protesters in order to help uh the Democratic Party, and actually they're they're actually making the Democratic Party worse off. I mean, literally all the Democratic Party had to do to win this election was appear to be sane and rational. That's all they had to do, and they couldn't do that, you know, and they still might win, but it's like all you had to do was to shut up and not do anything crazy. <laughs> and then you basically supported rioters and even bailed out rioters. And you can't even make the distinction between, like, make the clear distinction between peaceful protests and things on fire. It shouldn't be that difficult. <laughs> and yet it is difficult. But finally, Nancy Pelosi, I mentioned this earlier, she finally said, uh, well, you know, all this saluting and stuff, we're, we're not in favor of that. Can you hear me, Mark? Yes, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Oh, we lost you Cut there. Out. Okay, you got me? Are you there, Miles? I think we lost Miles. I was going to play this clip anyway. Hopefully we'll get Miles back on the phone. But uh, this is Nancy Pelosi talking about these protests. It's, it's finally dawned on them that it's, it's, it's hurting their chances to get uh, elected. Let's listen. The leader spoke. The gentleman on the other side said, where are you when you're talking about violence, this or that? We're there. We support peaceful demonstrations. We participate in them. They are part of the essence of our democracy. That does not include looting, starting fires, or rioting. Those are, they should be prosecuted. That is lawlessness. I'm very proud that Joe Biden has made the, presented the clarity of that. Yeah. Uh, so it's finally dawned on the Democrats that looting is is a bad thing, that lawlessness is a bad thing on the streets of so many cities in, in America, Miles Kristen. And so... Uh, you know, what does this tell you? It, what it tells me is that uh, they're, they know that their uh, support has been slipping amongst Americans who feel that safety is being compromised and that these protests are anything but peaceful. 
Yeah, and I mean, if if they lose Wisconsin again, I would definitely uh, say that what happened in Kenosha is a you know directly connected. I mean, between them winning the gubernatorial race in 2018 and a few other state races that year by a very small amount. Um, and they have also won some say, state Supreme Court races over the last few years. They had a real chance of winning Wisconsin, and they still might win Wisconsin. But if they lose Wisconsin, I would definitely blame it on the riots. And it's just, they didn't, they didn't used to kowtow to crazy rioters. I mean, the Democrats, is, they didn't kowtow to the crazy rioters so much 10 years ago or 15 years ago. They were pretty good about separating themselves from the far left. They would be like, oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm a capitalist, you know. And, and uh, it's like you're, you're sucking up to crazy people in order to get, you know, a few thousand votes when you're going to lose hundreds of thousands of votes in the process. It's insane. Absolutely. Miles, thank you so much for coming on the show today. No problem. Thank you for having me. Miles Kristen joining us. Check out Wisconsin International Radio, by the way. That's uh, that's his uh, platform that he posts content on. And you can also find him on Twitter as well, so follow him on Twitter. And lots more to come on News Talk. Well, our final scintillating segment of the week. How about that? Coming your way after this. No radio? No problem. Stream us live on Saga960AM.ca. You were listening to the Mark Petroni Radio Program. If you'd like to call, here's the number. 416-640-0200. That's 416-640-0200. The Mark Petroni Radio Program, heard exclusively on News Talk Saga 960. Well, singer-songwriter Van Morrison now coming out. Many of us know Van. Great uh, musician. He's come out and attacked the fascist bullies in anti-lockdown protest songs. That's right. The Irish singer-songwriter Van Morrison, been around for decades, has released two new protest songs railing against the pseudoscience surrounding Chinese coronavirus and accusing the UK government of being fascist bullies disturbing our peace. No more lockdowns, no more government overreach, no more fascist bullies disturbing our peace sings Van Morrison. No more taking of our freedom and our God-given rights, pretending it's for our safety when it's really to enslave. Wow. So this guy hasn't been... Rele- I mean, I don't want to be cruel, but Van, you know, it's it's been a while since Van Morrison has done something that uh, I would describe as particularly compelling. I, it's, been, it's been a few years... So the fact that uh, the fact that he has come out now and said this, I think is is brilliant. I, I, good for him. And uh, there's been some tweets about it. All these credible artists, and here's Van Morrison need to stop spreading misinformation. So they're they're pushing back against him. And so the lefties are are not happy with this. Uh, Van Morrison probably need not worry first he has the fire support that's how it's described. okay so he's the fiery support okay so oasis's singer noel gallagher apparently has come out 
He recently declared mask regulations to be, quote unquote, bollocks. Can we say bollocks on on radio? I would think so. If I was going to play the Sex Pistols. All right. Anyway, so he's called it bollocks. And also some of the Stone Stone Roses front man, Ian Brown. Stone Roses, another band, big band in the 1990s. Uh, what does he say about it? He says it's 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 also the same thing. So he's not happy as well with these with these uh, so-called fascistic um, well measures taken in the UK. And so it's interesting, though. It's you know that some of these artists have been around for they they recognize the attack on our freedoms. And so I think that's a great thing. You know, I think they have found something new to protest about. I tried to locate the, the, the tunes on Spotify, but uh, I've had no success, unfortunately. But anyway, uh, he was well known for Brown Eyed Girl and it's, that sort of thing. Gloria, you know, great songs from decades ago. But uh, in the lyrics, he claims that scientists are making up crooked facts to justify measures that enslave the population. I mean, this is incredible. This is the kind of stuff that you play at rallies, right? The new normal is not normal, he sings. We were born to be free. Speaking on, uh, well, early this week, the prime minister said that the government was doing everything in our power to prevent another nationwide lockdown. But we've seen some of these videos where people are, especially out of Australia, I mean, that's, that's disgusting what's going on there. Fortunately, it's nice that we're hearing a pushback, like in Melbourne, we're hearing that people are holding rallies and screaming, we want freedom. Have you heard this? I mean, the, the people in Australia are, are pushing back, and justifiably so. But they've got the right idea over there, because they know that the more you push back, the less likely these tyrants are going to be trying to ram through measures that are, well, let's face it, fascist-like. And so it's all over the place now. Van Morrison criticizing fascist bullies in anti-lockdown COVID songs. Becoming relevant again. I mean, these guys, what have they got to lose? I mean, they're multi, multi-millionaires. Nobody's going to. But they're still uh, targets of the left now. People who, the lefties who used to love Van Morrison now are going after him. Again, this is uh, no more lockdowns. No more government overreach. No more fascist bullies disturbing our peace. What? <laughs> All right, Bob Dylan, over to you. You know, we need some of these protests. Maybe we need a new generation of protest singers coming out and and writing songs that really expose this thing for what it really is. All right, I'll admit it. I've done a little bit of songwriting myself. I wrote this tune that uh, in the year of the plague. That was my contribution to music. <laughs> I mean, it's not exactly well known. I played it on this station once before. I think people liked it. Basically, if you listen to the words, it's it's basically says the same thing that Van Morrison's been writing about and talks about the measures that are taken, the, the government overreach, the threats to people's freedom, the fact that we should all be concerned as government cl- clamps down more and more under the guise of safety. And yet, you know, are you using a, a sledgehammer to, to kill a fly? And, you know, how much damage is that sledgehammer going to do when, um, you know, compared with the impact of the virus itself. Actually, Trump made that point as well early on. He said, you know, uh, you know it's a, at what point does the cure become more dangerous than the disease itself? 
I mean, certainly it's tragic and people have died and, and you can't change that. But this idea that somehow you have to do everything, you know, at all costs to avoid even one person from getting it. Well, I'm sorry, but <clears throat> basic economics has never relied on that sort of thing. You, you have to do the best for the most number of people, too. You have to consider any actions within the context of the impact of what you're doing, right? It's like the medicine itself. You know, the doctors, what they say, first, do no harm, right? That's their credo. That's the credo of, of the medical community. Your first goal should be that your medicine that you're applying to people, supposedly to help people, should be aimed at uh, not causing them any further harm. And so ask yourself this, is that being applied here? Is that same logic, is that same strategy being applied here when you're dealing with lockdowns? Are you saying, you know, at what point are the lockdowns causing more damage to people's health? When you factor in all these other issues, suicides, drug abuse, domestic abuses, bankruptcies, delayed surgeries, think about it. Think about it long and hard, Doug Ford, Justin Trudeau, the rest of you leaders. Really consider the impacts of all these other measures that you say are necessary. What damage are they causing? Anyway, my friends, thank you so much for tuning in. On behalf of the entire team here at Saga 960, including the boss, Jyoti Panu, and their great family here, thank you for listening. Really appreciate this. And let's do it again next week. Have a safe weekend. Have a great weekend. We'll see you then. Bye-bye for now. No radio? No problem. Stream us live on saga960am.ca.